بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين رب العالمين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي We're continuing tonight with the fiqh of salah from the, the book Buluhul Maram uh, of Sheikh uh, Imam Ibn Hajar Al-Asqalani Rahimahullah and we're currently on the chapter of Shurut of Salah Shurut of Salah, the conditions of Salah So our hadith, or our first hadith for the night reads from Abu Sa'id Al-Khudri Radiyallahu anhu Qala, qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallama إذا جاء أحدكم المسجد فلينظر فإن رأى فينا عليه أذى أو قذرا فليمسحه وليصلي فيهما أخرجه أبو داود وصححه ابن خزيمة And another hadith from Abu Hurairah رضي الله عنه that he said قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا وطئ أحدكم الأذى بخفيه فطهورهما التراب أخرجه أبو داود وصححه ابن حبان uh, so the first hadith says if any of you comes to the to the masjid and if he sees on his sandals or on his slippers or on his shoes other what is other if he sees any other which in this condition, in this state here means uh, some type of smudge or a smear of sand or mud or something similar to that or anything along those lines which is not considered as najis. If he sees anything like this on his shoes or on his slippers or sandals or he sees something that's considered as filthy or dirty or najis. So both is mentioned. That which is najis and even that which is not najis is mentioned in the in the hadith. فَلْيَمْسَحُ وَلْيُصَلِّ فِيهِمَا If he finds any of this on his slippers or on his sandals, he should check. The hadith says he should فَلْيَنْظُرْ Let him look, let him check. If there is anything on his shoes. If there is, فَلْيَمْسَحُ He then should wipe, wipe it off. Whatever he sees of other he should wipe it off. Yani, as you are standing on the ground, you should rub your foot on the ground and wipe it off. Right? Um Taib. And then he should pray within them. He should pray with them on. That's what the hadith is. That's what the hadith is saying. Because now after you've wiped it, it's pure, it's now clean. Understand? So in that case. No problem, you can now make salah with, with, within them. The second hadith from Abu Hurairah read, إِذَا وَطِئَ أَحَدُكُمُ الْأَذَى بِخُفَّيْهِ فَطَهُورُهُمَ التُّرَابِ If one of you treads, if he walks, if he treads into anything dirty or harmful or other, whether it's najis or not, بِخُفَّيْهِ with his two hoofs, with his two hoofs, those leather socks or sandals like we know what the khuf is. فَطَهُورُهُ مَتْتُرَابُ 
then to purify those hoofs is the sand, is turab, is the earth, is the floor. Meaning what? You should wipe it. Before you enter the masjid, if you stepped into something, whether it's najis or not. Let's say it's some mud, for example. Then what should you do? To purify it in that case is to, to rub it on the floor, to rub it on the earth, such that the najasa is removed. That is important. The najis must be, must be removed. Is mud, mud is not najis now. But like we said, the first hadith mentioned other and qadra. Other is that which is like, a, like something you stepped in, like a smear, like something which is not even considered najis. The point is you are entering the, the masjid. It should also be removed. And if you stepped into some najis, that should definitely also be, be removed. How do you remove it? Here yeah, the hadith says, you purify it by the by using sand, meaning you rub your foot in the sand, in the earth outside, and you then enter the masjid. So these two ahadith, what do they prove? They prove that the musalli, the one making salah, it's wajib upon him to make sure that his clothing is clean and pure before he makes salah. Whether that clothing is on your feet, your socks or your shoes or your hoofs, whether it's in your hands like your gloves or on your head. No matter where it is, whatever you are wearing, it must be, it must be clean. It must be pure and clean. Right? Because if you look at the hadith, the first hadith about the na'lain, about the, the sandals, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he is saying, after you wipe the sandals, you can then, Pray in the sandals. Right? And that's an issue we're going to discuss as we go through the benefits of the hadith. So, the first benefit of the hadith is that whoever wants to enter the masjid, it's important and fard that he makes sure that his shoes or his socks or his hoofs, that they are clean. Right? What does the hadith say? You must check. So, does this mean every time you enter the masjid, you must look? You must make sure to check? Yes, we could, but also at the same time, if you are 100% certain it's clean, there is no need to check. I mean, if you left your house, you got into your car, you pull up by the masjid, you jump out, you slip, you know that there is no najis. You know you stepped in no, no, stepped in no mud or anything similar to that. I mean, in this case, there is no need for you to go and look under your shoes. You understand? Because it's, it's known that there is no, no najis or anything on it. But if you're walking around outside and you, in that case... You know, as you approach the masjid, you should have a look first and foremost. Okay? Um, and also another point to understand. Back in those days, there were no carpets in the masajid. There were no carpets in the masajid where you stood outside, took your shoes off before you entered. The masjid was sand, just like the outside was sand. Understand? So they would walk straight in. There was no need to stop at the door, take shoes off because, hey, the carpets. Huh? They would walk straight in. And make salah in the sandals or in the shoes or in the slippers or in the hoofs. Understand? That's what the hadith is saying. Make sure you check, clean it, and then you can make salah in it. With it, with it on. Are you with me? So things are a bit different today. Things are a bit different today because the masajid have changed somewhat. Right? We've, we've, we've basically progressed. Things are different. We don't have sand in our homes anymore. Right? There's, there's progress in the dunya. This is something normal. And the masajid that we have, it has 
tiles or carpets or most probably have carpets understand so obviously before we step onto the carpet we take our shoes off and we place them in a, in a rack so we are not making salah in those shoes so this yani even if there was najis on your shoes you would not be praying in the shoes so it's actually okay um, and also the khuf issue the sahaba would walk around with their khufs outside and as they got to the masjid they would just enter and make salah if you look at the people today who wear khufs 99% of them don't walk around in their hoofs. Their hoofs, and they have shoes over the hoofs. Or sandals with the hoofs. When they enter the masjid, take the shoes or sandals off, and then they walk with their hoofs. So there's no way there's najis on the, on the hoofs. Understand? So, alhamdulillah, for us it's a little bit more easy when entering the masjid, that there's no chance of najis really getting in. Um, but this is the ruling. That if there is, and if you found, and if you think there might be, you must check. And if there is, the sand is good enough for you to go and wipe your shoes off and then enter the masjid or, or wipe your, your hoofs off and then enter the masjid with that and make salah within it. Taib, the second benefit the Sheikh says is that it's a condition that we purify ourselves from najasa, right? Whether that najasa is found yani in our clothing or in our gloves, for example, if you have gloves on, whether it's found on your shoes or your socks, no matter what item of clothing you are wearing, it must be free from najis before you can make salah. This is now a condition of the, of the salah, right? But there are many proofs for this. One proof is the hadith of the menstruating woman and her blood. The Prophet said it must be washed off and cleaned and then you can make salah with those clothing on. Right? Um, so that's one issue. The clothing that you are wearing must be must be free from najasa, it must be clean. So what if you are wearing clothing for four days straight? You never changed. If you're free from so let's say I mean obviously the clothing is not fresh, right? It's not fresh, you didn't shower for four days. You, you didn't change your clothing for four days, so you're not fresh, you know, that you may even be a little <coughs> bit smelly. But technically your salah is accepted, because there's no najis. Najis is something specific, right? There's no najis on the clothing, your salah is valid. So that's point number one. Your, your clothing must be free from najis. Also, your body must be free from najis. So there must be no traces of uh, urine, for example, on your body. Say somebody goes to the toilet, he uses the toilet and there's droplets that he was not careful over. It spilled on his body or on his clothing. And we know one of the people that, you know, he was punished in the grave. The Prophet ﷺ walked past a qabr one day and Allah allowed him to hear what was happening in the qabr or see what was happening in the qabr. And he said, this man right here is being punished right now. He's being punished in the grave. And why was he being punished? Because he was negligent with his urine. And when he went to, the, to, the, to the, relieve himself, he was negligent. He didn't take care to make sure that, you know, no spillage, no droppage, no... You understand? This is something very important that I'm sure we discussed in the book of Tahara, right? So the point here is it must be free from yani your body must have no no nudges on it. 
right? So if there's any najis that fell onto your body, you need to purify that part or clean that part of your body before you make salah. So a dog, for example, comes and he licks your hand, he licks your foot, right? In that case, you need to wash your foot seven times because that's how you purify from the saliva of a dog. You need to make sure you wash your hands at least seven times and at least once with some soap or once with some sand at least to make sure that you are clean from that najis because the dog's najis is extremely najis, right? We've discussed this before. Understand? So whatever of najis is on your body, even for example, madhi, madhi, which is your pre-seminal fluid that's on your body anyway, you need to clean that part of your body and then you can, you know, purify yourself with wudu and you can make salah. So the body needs to be free of najis as well. And thirdly, what else needs to be free of najis? There are three things. The clothing, your body, and private part is your body. It's part of your body. What's the third thing that you need to make sure is clean before you can make salah? What are the conditions of purity? We said clothing, we said body. The buqa, the place of salah. The place that you are making salah, you need to make sure that it is free from any type of najasa. Right? For example, the proof of hadith in the, the, the A'rabi came in, the Bedouin, and he urinated in the masjid. Right? The Prophet instructed that they need to pour water over it to make sure that the place of salah is kept clean. Understand? So, there are three conditions when it comes to purity. There are three conditions when it comes to, let's use the word cleanliness. There are three conditions when it comes to cleanliness. And that is, or let me rephrase, the condition of cleanliness. There's a condition of salah which is cleanliness. That includes three things. Three things you need to make sure is clean. That is firstly your body, your clothing, and the place that you are making salah. Those three things need to be clean and pure. Understand? So if you are making salah in a specific spot, and right next to that spot, there's some najis. Is the salah valid? Yeah. Salah is valid. That, you know, that I, let's say there was an item of clothing that had some najis on it. So you remove the clothing, you put it next to you on a bed, and you make salah next to the bed. There's no problem with this. Your area of salah is clean, your clothing and your body is clean. That najis, the item next to you, has no effect on the salah, and Allah knows best. Tayyib. The next issue the Sheikh mentions is that if a person makes salah in a thawb that has najis on it, or there is najis on his body, or on the place that he was making salah, there is some type of najis. But this was done out of ignorance. Or he forgot that there was najis on his clothing. Or that there was najis on his body. In this case, what's the ruling on his salah? What is the, the ruling on his salah? The salah is valid. Right? Even though he has some najis on him. In that case, the salah is valid. Because he did this out of forgetfulness or out of ignorance that he did not know the ruling. 
The other issue that comes up is, must he, must he repeat the salah? Right? Does he have to repeat the salah? Um, and the answer is that he does not have to repeat the salah. He does not have to repeat the salah. So a person, for example, who he knew, let's say he had some intimacy with his wife, right? But nothing was done which necessitates a ghusl. But some madhi was excreted. Meaning, this person need, he has some najis on his body. He has some najis on his body which needs to be cleaned off before he can make salah. If he knows this, and he planned to purify himself. But what happened? He forgot to do this. So the day went by and the Zuhr Salah comes about. He takes wudu, goes to make Salah. Two hours later he realizes, I forgot to clean myself. There was some najis on my body. Right? This was done out of forgetfulness. Right? So in this case here, what do we say? His salah is valid. His salah is valid. And he does not have to. He does not have to repeat the salah. He does not have to repeat the, the salah. Um, tayyib. And this is because he done something which is, which is restricted or prohibited. Right? Technically you did something which is Prohibited is to make salah with najis on your body is prohibited. Understand? And what's the ruling if you do something prohibited out of forgetfulness? You are forgiven, right? The general rule in the sharia, if you do something which is prohibited out of forgetfulness, you are forgiven for that. It's overlooked. Rabbana la tu akhidna in nasina aw akhta'na. That was except if you don't have to do one. We're get there. Right? رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِنَّسِينَا وَاخْطَأَنَا Oh Allah, don't take us to task for that which we forgot or that which we did not know. You're mistaken. And Allah said, I accepted that dua. That dua is accepted for the whole ummah. Understand? طيب. Another example of this is, you are out somewhere and the only clothing you have with you is clothing that has some nudges on it. You have no other clothing with you. Where are you going to get clothing from? You have nothing with you. In that case, what do we do? You make salah in that clothing. And in that case, you are excused. You have to make the salah. It's not enough to say, it's not enough to say that, look, these najis on my clothing, I can't make salah. So I'm going to make, um, you know, all my salahs tonight. When I get home. No, that's not permissible. You must make salah in that waqt. The waqt cannot go by unless you made the, you made the salah. So even if there's najis on that clothing at that moment, you make salah. A traveler, for example, you're traveling, you can't carry a suit, your suitcase with you, right? Something happened in the toilet on the plane, some, you know, urine spilled on you. And maybe you try to clean it, but what if it's a lot? Are you going to wash your whole, you know, item of clothing and sit with the wet pants? You know, it's not going to work. Understand? You're going to end up disturbing those around you, those next to you, etc. Um, whatever the case is, the point is if you have some nudges on your clothing or your body and you're unable to clean it off and you have no other clothing with you, 
you make salah within that clothing and you do not have to repeat the you do not have to repeat the salah you did your best that was all you could do at that moment understand what is the question um, what to do, you must, I mean, um, say for example, you've got to do, and you're done nice. Um, we're going to get to wudu. Not yet there. We're speaking about the Najis issue, right? And now we're at the wudu issue, actually. If a person makes salah and is muhdith, he's in a state of hadath, which is your ritual impurity. Ritual impurity, right? And he does this either ignorantly which is hardly ever going to happen a person most muslims if not all muslims know you must have wudu before you make salah so let's use the example of forgetfulness it's easy to forget you have wudu it happened to me just yesterday right you think you have wudu you make salah and after the salah you realize hey i didn't take wudu i didn't have wudu you understand and it can happen if you go against your ada you go against your daily routine and sometimes this happens so for example my routine is if i wake up i take wudu right and i normally by the time dhuhr comes i always have wudu right so what happened dhuhr time was i got done jumped to the car went to the masjid prayed dhuhr when i got home i realized this morning when i woke up i didn't take wudu this was different, it's not, not my daily routine. So when the time Dhuhr came, I just assumed I had do because I always have do at that time of the day. But that morning, I didn't take do. I told myself, I'll take later for Dhuhr. So I broke my daily routine and what happened? By the time Dhuhr came, I forgot, genuinely forgot. So there's no sin upon me for that salah. Allah will not punish me for that because I genuinely forgot. I'm 100% certain about this. That Allah will never punish me for that. But I have to repeat that salah. So I had to go home, take wudu, and then repeat my dhuhr. Understand? This has to be done. If you are muhdith, which means you are not in a ritual state to take, make salah, meaning you don't have wudu. So either you need to take a ghusl, if you have major hadath, if not in minor hadath, you need to take wudu. In this case, yes? Of course, if you're in the salah and you realize I didn't take wudu, you gotta go immediately. Because you can't stand there and make salah knowing your salah is invalid. In fact, this can become dangerous now. Because now this could be what? This could be riyah. You could be making salah to show others that you're making salah. You're not making salah for the sake of Allah anymore because you know that you don't have wudu. So you can't be there to please Allah. But if you are staying there, it could be a sign, hey, I don't want to show people. You know, so I'm going to stand here and make salah for the sake of the, the people. And this could lead to showing off. It could lead to riyah, which is a major sin. Which is a major sin. It's minor shirk, which is a major sin. In that case, the moment you realize I don't have wudu, you have to get up. And you have to leave. As we said, if you are shy, what what is what is the excuse we gave? You should make as if your nose is bleeding. Put your head to the back, make as if hey, my nose is bleeding, and you walk away. If you are shy, you understand. If you are leading the salah, even more important that you walk away, because all of those people that behind you, they will all be on your on your head.
you are carrying the as the imam you understand there is no sin upon them so what do you do to step backwards you walk away you walk away there is no impact on them no impact on them because they, this, this is they cannot be blamed for your sin or for your mistake rather no 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 they are not blamed at all their salah is completely valid completely valid so the moment the imam realizes or he breaks his wudu he's got to leave the person behind him steps forward and he carries on where they left off so if they made two raka'at and the imam walks away the next person walks in and he completes the salah doesn't start over he completes the salah understand they will not have to be told you must all make salah over because the imam no you had to do your salah is valid the imam broke his wudu or he forgot he walks away the rest of you carry on so they don't carry his burden Right? They don't carry his burden. They only carry their own burden. Understand? So in that case, the imam walks away, somebody else takes over as the, as the new imam, and they complete the salah, and that's it. Um, what, uh, what happened once, um, Sheikh, in um, the Masa of Ramadan, um, a person was leading the salah, and then after the salah fatiha, he, he recited a dua, um, not Qur'an. And when the salah was finished, somebody stood up and said, no, this is haram. You know? And he said, the salah must be made over. It would be a bid'ah, but he would be forgiven because he didn't know. But the salah shouldn't be batil. Yes, it's a sunnah that he left. That, that was, that was this, basically, there's nothing that was done to, to nullify the salah. Nothing was done that nullifies the salah. So in that case, I would say, if he made a dua, if you say he made dua to Allah, in that case, Allah knows best, but it seems that the salah is still valid. Right? If he did a qasida, for example, or if he did something else, then we say salah is batil. Right? And we're going to get to that hadith later. So let's leave that question for later on, inshallah. Um, <coughs> tayyib, an important point here is what's the difference between the two? The issue of cleanliness, we said if you did it, there's nudges on your body, your clothing, or the place, and it was done forgetfully, your salah is valid, it doesn't need to be repeated. But if you made salah with, in a state of ritual impurity, or not in a state of ritual impurity, should I, should I say, then you have to repeat that salah. What's the difference? Both is shurut. But why are we giving different rulings for the, for the one to the other? Both of them are conditions for the acceptance of the salah. Right? You must have a do. And your body and place and things must be clean. So I'm going to use these words. Tahara and cleanliness. Cleanliness means the free from najis. Tahara I'm going to use for what? Ritual meaning you must have a do. Those are two different conditions for the salah. Before you make salah, both conditions must be fulfilled. One is ritual and the other one is physical. Right, but both are conditions. If you make salah purposefully with anyone... So that's completely batil, 
And as we said last week or the week before, it's a major sin. Some ulama said it's kufr. Some ulama said to make salah without wudu purposefully is mocking Allah Azza wa Jal, which is tantamount to kufr. Some ulama said this. If you did it purposefully, you purposely get on the musalla, Allahu Akbar, you make a full salah and you know, you have no wudu, you're not pure. This is making a, you're taking Allah for a joke, right? So some ulama said that's kufr. Other ulama said it's a major sin. The point is, both of them are conditions that must be fulfilled. What is the difference? Right? Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah says the difference is this. When you, full, when you make salah with najis on your body, and this is obviously forgetfulness, not purposeful. Purposeful is completely batil, major sin, must repeat and make tawbah. You are speaking about out of forgetfulness here. If you made salah with najis on your body or on your clothing or in the place of salah, you are doing something which is prohibited. You are doing something which is prohibited. Okay? If you make salah without wudu, without wudu, you are doing something or you are, neg- you are neglecting something which was commanded upon you. So the one is a commandment which is you must have salah. When you stand for salah, you must take wudu. It's a commandment, right? What do we mean by this? That wudu is a core essential part of the salah. It's a, without it, your salah is not valid. Without it, your salah is incomplete. Understand? But if you make salah with, with some najis on, it means you have wudu. But there's some najis on. So your salah is not uh, incomplete for that matter. Because you've done everything that's required of you for the salah to be valid. But there's something that's preventing it. A little bit of najis is, is a preventing factor. So it's actually something that you are doing which is prohibited. But it's not a part of the core essential needs of the salah. What the salah wants from you, which is you must have wudu. You must be, understand? This is the slight difference between the two. I don't know if I'm saying it in a clear enough manner. But this is what the Sheikh is basically saying is the slight difference between the two. And Allah knows best. Right? And Allah knows best. I'm sure there is ikhtilaf on these issues. Maybe other ulama will say, no, shart, you must repeat the salah. This is the view that the Sheikh is saying is correct and Allah knows best. Um, so there is a slight difference between them and this is why he, he has differentiated in the rulings as well. In the rulings over them um, as well. طيب, another benefit of this hadith is that wiping your na'al your slipper, your shoe, or your hoof with sand is sufficient for it to be purified. You can, you don't need water. As long as you wiped it off, no water is um, required. Taib, another benefit here is the qa'idah. A, the sharia has four principles, four major principles, four Five major principles that we have that we follow, right? Of them is al mashaqqatu tajlibu taysir. Difficulty brings about ease. This is one of the principles of the Sharia. Difficulty brings about ease, and this is also found within this hadith. This is found within this hadith. You come with these najis, you just gotta wipe it off and get it. That's all. That's all is required of you. 
Why put on the ground? Just there and go into the masjid. And as we said, in those days, it was all sand. So as they got, they literally just did this in front of the masjid and walked into the masjid. Understand? And even the Ibn Uthaymin brings a mas'al and he says, uh, what if somebody says that if you do this in outside the masjid, it's najis outside the masjid, and now you're walking into the masjid. What about that najis? He says, well, generally if you do this, it's going to go under the sand, and it's going to be very little, the sand will overpower it and so forth. The point here is, this is how easy things were made for them. Just wipe it and walk in. This is one of the examples of this principle. There are many, many, many examples of this principle. When, the, when things become difficult, you will find the Sharia makes it easy for you. You will find the Sharia makes things easy for you. This is a principle under which you will find hundreds of examples. Simplest example, traveler. Don't have to fast. Salah is combined, shortened, so forth. It's part of this principle. Allah knows best. Another benefit is, it's permissible to make Salah with your shoes on. This hadith is clear. The hadith says you should pray or you can pray with, within your shoes. As you are standing in your shoes, you can make salah. Understand? Um, on condition that the shoes are clean. No nudges on the shoes, you can make salah in your shoes. It's not a requirement to remove your shoes. Understand? Is it a sunnah to make salah with the shoes on? The Sahaba, Prophet <coughs> would make salah with shoes on. So it is a sunnah to make salah with your shoes. Understand? There's no need to remove the shoes and Allah knows best, unless, unless, the fitna, they could become fitna, if you make salah with shoes on. For example, people might take issues with it. So now because you make salah with shoes on, oh, look at this boy, look at this guy, make salah with shoes on, you know, and so forth. If that's going to be the, that's the case, then maybe it's better not to make salah with shoes on. Secondly, in our masajid, <coughs> in our masajid, there's no need to make salah with shoes on because of carpets, right? Carpets, it doesn't make sense to walk into the masjid with a carpet because you're going to bring sand and dust in. And it doesn't make sense. So we take it off, it's best in this case. Another example would be the haram. The haram. The haram is different. Why is it different? Let's say Mecca, for example, specifically. A lot of the haram is marble. So there's no issues at all if you went in with your shoes and you made salah with your shoes. No issues at all. Why? It's actually better for your feet. Because that marble will make your feet very sore. You know? So in that case there, no problem. But make sure the shoes are clean. You understand? If you look around you, you will see a lot of guards and those things walking around with shoes on, with boots on. With boots on and there's nothing haram in that. No problem with it at all. Right? Other people have a special shoe just for the haram. Right? I know my mother would do this when she went to the haram. She would put on different shoes. Which she only wore in the haram. Because out of respect for the haram and she didn't want to use. No problem in that. You understand? Um, this is also no problem, no issues with this. The point is there is no problem making salah with shoes on. And a person who says it's a problem... He doesn't, under, he doesn't know better. He doesn't know better. If you can explain it, Alhamdulillah, if it's going to lead to a big argument and people saying this and that, best to avoid it. Best to avoid it in that case and you leave it at that. If you are able to explain, if you know it's a problem among certain people, 
perfect. If you know it's going to be a problem, avoid it. You understand? It's not a fard. It's not a f- no, take it off. It's not a fard. You understand? If you make salah outside, then I would say, make salah with your shoes on. And this is where you see people don't know the ruling. People sometimes gather. Let's say you go on a, for a picnic somewhere. You make salah on the grass. People take their shoes off. They stand with their socks. You know, in grass and sand. and You know, it's because they don't know. So you come there and you stand with your shoes on and some will be like, what's happening here, you know? The honest truth is they don't know. And that's the perfect time to explain to them that the Prophet ﷺ would make salah with shoes on. This is the exact time it's best for you to make the shoes on. In the masjid, we can understand. You take your shoes off. But here, because of the mats. If it was not mats, you would have said, go in with your shoes. But here, what's the point in taking your shoes off? It doesn't really make sense. Um, so we say it's a sunnah. In fact, the one hadith says that you should place it on your left-hand side or between your legs. That if you are going to take your shoes off, you should place it on the left-hand side or between your legs, if you're going to take it off. If not, you pray with it on and there's no issue with this. Alhamdulillah. Also, the sanctity of the masjid is proven here. You're not allowed to bring any type of dirt or harm or anything into the masajid, right? This is, of course, well known, alhamdulillah. A next hadith is from Muawiyah ibn al-Hakam radiallahu anhu that he said, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Inna hadihi salata la yasluhu fiha shay'un min kalamin nas. This salah is not befitting for the speech of, of man. It's not befitting within it the speech of man. إِنَّمَا هُوَ التَّسْبِيحُ وَالتَّكْبِيرُ وَقِرَاءَةُ الْقُرْآنِ رواه مسلم. The salah is only tasbih. It's only takbir and reciting of Quran. So it's not befitting for the for speech of people. What happened? There was a story to this hadith. This man, the narrator of the hadith, Muawiyah ibn al-Hakam. Muawiyah, Muawiyah ibn al-Sufyan. Muawiyah ibn al-Hakam radiyallahu anhu he was making salah and somebody sneezed in the salah and what's the sunnah when somebody sneezed? Ya Allah and as this man sneezed he said to the man Ya Allah the man sneezed whether he said Alhamdulillah Allah alam but he said to the man Ya Allah so the correct thing to do is if somebody sneezes he should firstly say Alhamdulillah if he says Alhamdulillah, you then respond to him by saying If he doesn't say Alhamdulillah, you don't say Alhamdulillah. If he says Alhamdulillah, you say Alhamdulillah. He then replies by saying Yahdikumullahu wa yuslihu balakum. Okay? Tayyib. So he had the man sneeze and he said to the man Yahdikumullah. Right? Um, so it was clear that he didn't know the ruling. That in the salah, he should not be speaking unnecessarily. So when he said this, People kind of, you know, like, looked at him strangely. So maybe those next to him kind of, maybe, you know. And some people, or when he said this, they said to him, or firstly, uh, Ibn Uthaymin says, when the people looked at him, what what does this mean? That perhaps back then, in the early days, (coughs) it was permissible to turn around in the salah. It was permissible. (coughs) Understand? 
So they were able to turn and look at him. You know, and as he looked at, as they all looked at him, he said, he said, "Wasukla ummiya, wasukla ummiya," which which is basically something that you say when you regret, right? So he said, "Alhamdulillah." He said, Allah, and people all looked at him and he said, "Wasukla ummiya," meaning it's like a statement of regret, huh? Like, yeah, man, oh, and like, you know, like, why did I buy my mother now? Why did I say that, man? And, which means it was more speech. When he said this, this was him saying something else. So when he said this, people started to hit their thighs. You know, as if like, you know, like, you know, keep quiet, man, you know? And he said, وَثُّكْلَ أُمِّيَانْ After they looked at him, he said something again. And they hit the legs to almost to indicate a... Keep quiet, man. No place still. Um, and then he kept quiet. After they did this, he kept quiet. After the salah ended, the Prophet sallallahu called him. And he said, Fabi wa ummi. Fabi abi huwa wa ummi. He said, May my father and mother be sacrificed for him. And for the Prophet sallallahu And he said, ما رأيت معلما أحسن تعليما منه صلى الله عليه وسلم. He said, I've never seen a teacher better in teaching like he was. صلى الله عليه وسلم. He praised the Prophet صلى When the Prophet called him, he said this. Firstly, may my mother and father be bereaved for this man, because I've never seen a teacher like him that was better than him. He said, ما كهرني. يعني he didn't. His face never changed with me. He never gave me a dirty or angry look. وَلَا نَهَرَنِي Nor did he say anything evil or bad or, or harsh to me. لِأَنَّ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى يُنزِلِ كُلِّ إِنسَانِ الْمَنْزِلَةَهُ Because the Prophet ﷺ, he put each person, you know, where he needed to be. He, just, he spoke to each person appropriately. So if a person was ignorant, you would teach that person. If the person was stubborn and harsh, you would be harsh with him. If the person was... Genuine, he would be soft with him. If that person came to him clearly, you know, in regret, making tawbah, for example, for a sin, the Prophet would treat them kindly. Like the hadith where the Prophet, a man came to him and said, I committed zina. I committed zina in Ramadan. In Ramadan. But the man came out of tawbah. As a ta'ib, he was making, he was repenting. And he came to the Prophet to say, you know, what, 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 what should I do now? Prophet wasn't harsh with him, even though it was a major sin, because he realized the man is he's repenting. He's acknowledged his sin, he's changing his ways, he wants forgiveness, he wants change. He put him, he dealt with him appropriately. This was Rasulullah sallallahu But when there was a need for harshness, people were stubborn and arrogant, refused to listen, then he could also be harsh. And this is the ultimate example for every person. You need to deal with each person appropriately kulli maqamin maqal for each time and place there is an appropriate way that you deal with it there is an appropriate thing that you have to say so he basically called him over wasn't harsh with him dealt with him nicely and he said to him the salah is not for anything regarding the speech of man and it's not, not appropriate that we say we speak we talk in the salah it's only for tasbih Takbir and reciting of Quran. That is salah. Salah will contain these things and these things only. Right? So the Prophet clarified to him the status of the salah. This is the salah, this is what it's for. Understand?
And of course, this applies to every and any salah. It's not only that salah, fardu, sunnah, any salah. Um, so it's not appropriate for kalam in nas, the speech of men, the speech of mankind, the speech of people, right? Yani any type of speech, it must only contain that which is valid and appropriate for the salah of your tasbih, your takbir, and your qiraatul Quran. Um, so like tasbih for example what is tasbih subhanallah tasbih is to say subhanallah right so when we start the salah one of the duas is subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik tabarak asmuk wa ta'ala jadduk wa la ilaha ghayruk that's a dua. For some, when you start the salah, you would say this dua. Right? And okay, there's many different types of duas you can say. Allahu Akbar kabira, alhamdulillah kathira, subhanallah, ibn kratu wasila, wajahtu wajahi lifadra samatu al-ardu hanifah muslimah manu mishkreen. He said today the long one, from out of the shafi'is, told that one. It's all valid. You have a choice. You can, the best would do, the best would be, learn them all and to alternate. One salah, this one, another salah, that one, and so forth. You're acting upon more of the sunnah. Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim, Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la, Zu'u, Tasbih, Subhan, Tasbih. Tasbih means that you glorify Allah, or that you see, you, you mention the perfection of Allah. Subhan means Allah is free from all imperfection and weakness and defects. Subhan, so Allah only. So this is what Tasbih means. Takbir, obviously, to start the salah, the most important takbir is takbiratul ihram. When you start the salah, Allahu Akbar. That's takbir, which means you say Allahu Akbar. And between the raka'at, obviously, you are saying Allahu Akbar to go up and down, etc. Qiraatul Quran, most important is suratul fatiha. Some ulama said it's wajib, other ulama said it's a rukun of the salah. It's a rukun of the salah, the fatiha. There's no salah except with the with the Fatiha. Okay? And of course, after that you have the Sunnahs, which is short surahs or any other surah after the Fatiha. So this is the Tasbih, Takbir, and Qiraatul Quran. Um, from the benefits of the Hadith, right, that the Salah is not befitting for general talk or any unnecessary talk or any talk between men. It's not befitting. And this doesn't يعني, have to be a lot. It can be one or two words. It can be half a word even. If it's speech, not part of the salah, you can nullify your salah there and then. You can negate your salah um, there and then. But any type of speech that is addressing Allah, you are now speaking to Allah, then this does not negate the salah. Like a dua. Rabbi as'aluka, my Lord, I ask you, Allahumma, Rabbi astaghfiruka, right? This is now dua, we are addressing Allah directly. This does not negate the, the salah. Understand? Because this is not general talk between men or from just a person saying something random. No, this is him directing. You remember, you are in salah talking to Allah. Your entire salah is your communication, your connection with Allah. Understand? So in that salah, you may make extra du'as wherever you want. You know? If there's a time and a spot to make du'a, you make du'a. 
No problem. One of the meanings of salah is dua. In Arabic, one of the meanings of salah is dua. Um, so this is not part of what's not allowed. Understand? So you, and this is why we said in that case over there that you mentioned, the man did the fatiha and then he made a dua. Right? So I would say if it's done purposefully, this is a problem. Why? You are now doing something which is a bid'ah. And a bid'ah by is, is what is rejected. So if you are purposefully, you know, adding to the salah and doing innovations in the salah, you could nullify your whole salah, Allah knows best. Depending on your intention. If the person is an absolute jahil, he has no knowledge. So what does he do? The fatiha. And then he recites, Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana. Technically, you could argue, that's Quran. So that's one issue. Maybe his intention was Quran. So that's, that's fine. But let's say he makes a du'ani, um, Allahumma rabba al-nas adhibi ba'as ishfiwa anta shafi la shifa'a illa shifa'a shifa'a la yugadir saqma, Allahu Akbar. If he's an ignorant person, bi'idhnillahi ta'ala, salah is valid. Because he's only addressing Allah. It's not random speech. Understand? He must be educated, obviously, though. And then, if he still does it, then this is something different now. Now he's purposefully changing the salah, which could nullify his salah. Right? And Allah knows best. Um, some ulama also said it's permissible to address the Prophet And why did they say this? Because in the tahiyat we say, Assalamu alayka, ayyuhal nabi. Right? In the tahiyat, how does tahiyat go? Tahiyat mubarak, at salatu taibatu lillahi, assalamu alayka. Now, ka in Arabic, when you add it to a word, it means you. Right? It means you. Ra'aytuka, I saw you. Right? Assalamu alayka, peace be upon you. Kum, we say assalamu alaykum, it means plural, please be upon all of you. Right? That's generally the way we greet. But that Arabic kaf the ka means you. Kaifa halu ka. How are you? For female, we say kaifa halu ki. How are you? Understand? That kaf at the end basically means you. So we say assalamu alayka, ayyuhan nabi. Peace and safety be upon you, O Prophet. Right? So some ulama said, no, you see, so if you, in the salah, if you were to say, Allah salli ala, alayka ya Rasulullah, in the middle of the salah, it's okay because it's, but Ibn Uthaymi says, this is not, this is not valid. You cannot address the Prophet sallam in the salah because this year is also a dua. When the tahiyat is a dua, it's a dua upon the Prophet sallam and upon the believers, Right? Um, and you're singing, you know, you, you are singing the praises of Allah. Tahiyatu lillah. Belongs to Allah. That greetings, that the, uh, the pure, al-mubarakatu, salawatu, tayyibatu, lillahi. Assalamu alaykum. Ayyuh al-Nabi, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alayna. But all of us now. Tayyib. So he says this is not excluded. Yani you should not be addressing the Prophet either. You know, it's only for Allah. The only exclusion from speech is that which is direct addressed to Allah in the salah. So in the salah, if you wanted to say something, it must be in the form of a dua, or you are addressing Allah. You know, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, something like that, and this is okay. But otherwise, no other speech is 
permissible. It will nullify your salah. So, um, I think most of the mention of the Sheikh one day at um, Krumbu Masjid, in where the person was doing the salah. Um, so, when he went into, I can't remember, or from, from the crew into, um, um, or from a uh, young crew to Sujood, and then he said, this, uh, so they said, Allah Masjid, and then he went into it. Okay, so that was the first one. Still speaking to Allah. Oh Allah, still temptations upon the Prophet. So Allah is no problem. He's still speaking to Allah. He's making dua to Allah to send temptations upon the Prophet. Understand? And we say it in the Tahiyyat. Allah Masali ala Muhammad. Wa ala ala Muhammad. Kama salita ala Ibrahim wa ala Ibrahim ka Hamid. Allah mabarik ala Muhammad. If he's going to do it all the time. Then we say, look, what you know, now it's becoming like part of his sujood, part of his ruku. Then we say it's a bid'ah. But to do it, you know, just by the way, once off now and then, we won't say it's an innovation, Allah knows best. Tayyib. Um, so this, assalamu alaikum is a dua upon the Prophet. Right? The dua upon the Prophet. And this is how it was narrated. This is how it was narrated. There is a narration in. Sahih Bukhari, where Abdullah bin Mas'ud, radiallahu anhu, he said that when the Prophet sallallahu was alive, he would say this wording, As-salamu alayka, peace be upon you, O Prophet. But when he passed away, when he passed away, we changed the tahiyyat to As-salamu ala nabiyyi wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That he says when he was alive, we used to say, peace be upon you. When he passed away, we used to say, and peace be upon the Prophet, not upon you. As-salamu ala nabi peace be upon the Prophet. And then towards the end of the tahiyyat. This hadith is authentic, it's in Sahih al-Bukhari, right? Does this mean we have to change the tahiyyat or not? Does this mean that when we make the tahiyyat, we should also do the same thing and say, Assalamu ala nabiyyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin As opposed to saying Assalamu alayka ayyuh al-nabiyyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Assalamu alayna wa ala ibadillahi salihin Is it the case or not? And this is where the ulama differed So some ulama said This is clear When he was alive you should say Assalamu alayka But now when he passes away you should say Assalamu ala nabiyyu Other ulama says That is the ijtihad of Abdullah bin Mas'ud That's his personal opinion that is his personal opinion, which he's entitled to. That's his opinion. That doesn't mean that we have to leave the hadith of the Prophet and follow that opinion. That's not the words of the Prophet. That is the words of who? Ibn Mas'ud. It's not the hadith of the Prophet that he said you must do this. Ibn Mas'ud said you should do this. That's what they do. Understand? So, firstly, all of the ahadith reading the tahiyyat, it says, Assalamu alayka. Peace be upon you. And never did the Prophet say, after I die, you should say, Assalamu ala nabi. You should change it. This was never part of the teachings of the Prophet. This was the opinion of Abdullah bin Mas'ud. And there's a hadith in the Muwatta of Imam Malik. An authentic hadith. Ibn Uthaymin says, from the most authentic hadith you will find. The chase of narration is extremely authentic. He says, Umar ibn Khattab 
taught people the tashahud. He was on the member. He was now Amir al-Mu'minin. After the death of Prophet after the death of Abu Bakr, Umar is on the member. And Umar was of the most knowledgeable of the Sahaba. Umar is on the member and he's teaching the, sah- the younger Sahaba or the Tabi'een how to make Salah. And he teaches them how to say the Tashahud. And in this narration it says, he taught them to say, Assalamu alayka, ayyuhan nabi. Which means he did not agree with Ibn Mas'ud. He still kept it as Assalamu alayka. So majority of the ulama say, we say what the hadith says. The hadith taught us, Assalamu alayka, and the Prophet never said we should change that. That was the opinion of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, and the Sahaba did not all agree on this. Umar differed with this, and also there's a narration of Aisha, where she also said, Assalamu alayka, after the death of the Prophet So to say, Assalamu alayka, is permissible, and we say that is the sunnah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Um, طيب, another benefit of the salah, uh, this hadith is there is no sukut in the salah. There is no period of quietness in the salah. You should not be quiet in the salah. You should not be quiet in the salah. This doesn't mean you must chat and talk. This means what? The salah is either for tasbih, takbir, or kiratul Quran. So if you are not doing one of the three, you should be doing one of the three. You should be making dhikr throughout your salah. You should be making dhikr throughout your salah. I asked one sheikh in Medina a question one day. And his response to me was, you should never be quiet in the salah. One of his things that he said to me was, you should never ever be quiet in the salah. Meaning, if the imam is taking long and you are done with whatever you're supposed to read, you should be making dua after that. Or extra dhikr after that. Remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala within the, within the salah. Understand? Tayyib, we explain the issue of the tasbih, takbir, and qiratul Qur'an, that it is wajib, right? They must be tasbih, they must be takbir, and they must be Qur'an recited, right? Um, certain parts will be sunnah, certain parts will be fard. Sometimes the subhanallah will be fard, sometimes will be sunnah, but, but we'll get the inshallah, and I think it's known. Um, what about speaking, he says, for the maslaha of the salah? Yani you, have, you feel there's a reason for you to say something. Okay, so for, let's say the imam makes a mistake and you say subhanallah but he doesn't catch on. Can you say something further? Can you, you know, to get his attention and so forth? Um... Can you? Right, the safest would be not to say anything, right? But some ulama say here yeah, and there you could say just to remind him. Just to remind him that uh, but it must be very brief and very straight to the point, you know? But Allah alam, let's just stick to the subhanallahs at this level. Other ulama would go into more details and for example they say if the imam Mr. Rukur, you should recite an ayah to him. That means ruku. Understand? If you miss the takbir, you must tell him, for example, Allah said the Quran, wa takbira. You know, so you're still reading Quran. 
But this is only for people who understand, who understand Quran, who understand things. So let's leave that for now. Um, what about laughing and smiling in the salah? So Ibn Uthaymin firstly says, Al-Qah-Qaha. Qah-Qaha is when you, you, you laugh loudly. Like you, you really burst out laughing loudly. Right? This completely nullifies your salah. So any person who as he makes salah and he bursts out laughing, that, like a proper loud laugh, salah is completely bartily, he must start over. What about a, a, a light laugh? Huh? Also bartily. The other one is a bit worse because it shows more disrespect to the salah and less khushur. A slight laugh, we say if it's a laugh, bartily. You, you know when you're laughing. It's just like a little giggle. Your salah is over. You should repeat the salah. You should repeat the salah. Some ulama say if it's a loud laugh, you must go take wudu again. Your wudu is also bartil. But there's no dalil for that. So, your wudu is valid, but your salah is definitely bartil. As for smiling, a small little smirk, a smile, then that's makruh. That is disliked. Again, it proves that your salah is not with concentration and khushu' and so forth. Um, that يعني, you need to say isti'adha, you need to spit to your left, you need to get focused. So just a smile is makruh. If it leads to laughter, your salah is batil and it must be repeated and Allah knows best. Um, then Ibn Uthaymin rahimahullah, he says it's permissible. To remind a person in the salah if he's making a mistake. So a person that's making salah next to you or around you, you can remind him without saying anything. But you can kind of nudge him or you can nahnaha. Nahnaha is like you, <clears throat> you know, you, you make a, is it walking, right, with your, with your hawk, when you, when you, uh, with your throat. You know, you can, <clears throat> and you can nudge him if you needed to. Let's say he's falling asleep. Huh? You can nudge him awake and you can, <clears throat> you know. Uh, that's a bit excessive. But let's say you're making, let's say uh, a good example would be people don't know how to stand in a soft. They don't know how to make sufuf properly. So what happens is you're making and the person next to you is he's roaming, you know, he's, he's busy leaning away to the left. But you can pull him to you. You can take him by the arm. And pull him close to you until the soft is closed. The gaps must be closed. No, it depends where you're standing. Depends. The sufuf, the sufuf needs to be made from the middle. So it starts in the middle and it goes out to the right and the left. So if you on the left hand side, you gotta get to the middle. You understand? So if somebody comes next to you and he's standing at a gap in a distance, you can pull him to you. There's no problem with this. Right? And you on the other side, you make sure you get into the middle. If somebody stands away, you can pull him to you, no problem. A child, for example, also. Right? He roams. Then he's standing too much to the front. Then he's to the back. You can pull him and keep him next to you to make sure he's standing straight. His head, maybe, you can push his head down just, just to keep him, you know. So the salah is orderly. And, and because it's a distraction to others also at times. So to keep things orderly, there's no problem with this. Right? Because in this hadith, what did the Sahaba do? When this man said, Ya they looked at him. So we don't say you should look around because nowadays looking around and moving around 
sa permissible. But they also hit the thigh. You know? So, you got to do something which you feel is appropriate. If it's too excessive, you leave it. Right? If you feel it's a distraction to others, you leave it. If it's just around you, you can, you know, small little movements, that is fine, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Um, but like, you know, like uh, with your throat, for example, to get someone's attention, to let them wake up or focus, then this is permissible, and Allah knows best. Tayyip, um, the issue of the sneezing. So if you sneeze in the salah, do you say Alhamdulillah, and do you respond to somebody else by saying Alhamdulillah? Right? That's another issue that we can talk about. So if you sneezed, do you say Alhamdulillah or not? Okay, perfect. And there's a highly specific that says if you sneeze, you should say, Inshallah, this is permissible. Right? This is permissible. But Ya Allah? No. Because now you are addressing somebody else. Right? You are, now st- you are speaking to Ya Peace, Allah's mis- peace be upon you. You don't want to say anything to them. You understand? So this should be avoided. And obviously, you, Alhamdulillah, you should say softly to yourself. Nobody should even hear the Alhamdulillah. Uh, if you can do that, you understand? Because if you're going to say Alhamdulillah loudly, somebody's going to say Ya Allah. You understand? So the best is to say softly, not to disturb others. So you sneezed, Ya Alhamdulillah. Just to yourself. Nobody needs to hear it. And that's, that is fine, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. Um, but as for other issues like, let's say, you know, you're making salah and somebody else is, let's say I'm making salah and the two of you are having a discussion and he says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, should I say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and I'm in salah? No, I should not say sallallahu alayhi wa Right? The only time you're going to basically say a dua like this, is for sneezing. But now you hear someone say the Prophet's name, you don't need to say Sallallahu you're in the Salah. Right? You're supposed to be focused there. Understand? Um, and so forth. Because if you can open this door, that you can say, you can respond to people's this and to that, and you know, it becomes, it can become problematic. Okay? Like the other issue is, I don't know if he's going to get to it, maybe later on, responding to a greeting. You're responding to a greeting, you know. You make salah and they say, Assalamu alaikum. To respond is a fard, you know. What about now in the salah? So what you could do is you can finish your salah, then go greet. Or some might say if a sunnah salah, you can, re- you can re- greet back. Because it's a sunnah and it's a fard. Others only the fard you don't. Allah alam, we'll leave that for now. Um, sorry? Correct. Correct. So I would say avoid that and go greet him afterwards and Allah knows best. Um, Tayyib. Any questions on this so far? The next hadith is from Zaid ibn Arqam radiallahu anhu that he said, In kunna lana takallamu fi salah ala ahli nabi sallam. He says, we used to speak in our salah during the time and the lifetime of the Prophet sallam. يُكَلِّمُ أَحَدُنَا صَاحِبَهُ بِحَاجَتِهِ But, when there was a need. When there was a need, we would speak to our companion. Yani, something to tell him, hey, stand straight. You know, 
So he says, bihajatihi, meaning when there was a need. So a need doesn't mean a necessity. And a need doesn't also mean for no reason. Like vain talk. You know? There was a need. Just in the middle there. So someone didn't stand right, they'll say, hey, stand straight. You know, or hey, just come close the gap here. There's a need for it. You understand? It's not a necessity. Are you with me? He could have pulled him over rather. He did something else. So, he says when there was a need, we would speak. We would say something. حَتَّى نَزَلَتْ Until the ayah was revealed. حَافِظُوا عَلَى الصَّلَوَاتِ وَالصَّلَاتِ الْوُسْطَى وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ Allah says, and look after, maintain with care your salah. Your salahs, salawat. وَالصَّلَاتِ الْوُسْطَى And especially the middle salah. The best of salahs. وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ And stand for the sake of Allah. قَانِتِينَ Devoutly and obediently. Right? That's what the ayah says, Surah Baqarah. فَأُمِدْنَا بِالسُّكُوتِ وَنُهِينَا عَنِ الْكَلَامِ Hadith Bukhari and Muslim. So he says, so then, after this ayah, we were instructed to be quiet and we were prohibited from speaking. So this is now, this is an example of naskh, abrogation. Initially things were allowed and later on it was, that ruling was changed. No longer allowed, this is now the ruling. So certain things was allowed, it became haram. Certain things was haram, it became allowed, became permissible. Because the sharia was revealed in stages over 23 years. Okay? Um, so Allah says in this ayah, Look after your salawat. Maintain the salah. Fulfill the shurut. Fulfill the arkan. Fulfill the wajibat. Fulfill the sunnah. Look after the, the salah. Especially the Middle one, which is Asr. Which is Salatul Asr. The hadith says Salatul Wusta, Salatul Asr. Prophet explained it already. Ibn Taymiyyah says, amazingly, he says, amazingly, there are so many different opinions on what is Salatul Wusta. So many people differ over this. He says, how amazing when the Prophet already explained what it is. So, how is this possible? He says, so we take no care, no note of what they said. The Prophet already said what it is. Salat al-Wusta, Salat al-Asr. Hadith in Sahih Muslim. So, we don't need any opinions. The Prophet's opinion is already there. Salat al-Wusta refers to Salat al-Asr. And there's many reasons for this. Many a times people are neglectful of Asr. It's the middle of the day, after work, after school, you're tired, it's this. You know, we went to Maghrib, people neglect Asr. Um, so, Asr is given special virtue in the Quran. And that's why they say it's the best of salah. The best of the fart is asr. Hadith says whoever doesn't make asr, it's better for him to lose his whole family and his, all of his positions than not to make the salah to asr. Um, and after asr is the fajr salah. Those two are the best salah. First fajr and then asr. So the first asr and then um, fajr. The one hadith says, Man al jannah. Whoever prays the two uh, cool salahs, the cool salahs, they will enter paradise. And this refers to Fajr and Asr. Right? Um, طيب. وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ And stand in salah devoutly and obediently. Like Allah says, إِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا إِذَا قُمْتُمْ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ When you stand for salah. Um, so in this hadith, we see also ta'kid. 
emphasis. What did he say? We were, we were now instructed to be quiet and prohibited from speaking. Both is mentioned. If I say you must be quiet, that means you mustn't speak. But the Prophet said both. We were, they were instructed to be quiet and prohibited from any type of speech and from any type of speech. And this is a, a form of emphasis on this issue that you need to be quiet and, no, and, and that means you can't talk. Right? It, it's really very much um, emphasized in this hadith. From the benefits of the hadith is we see the hikmah in being quiet. Why is it that we must be quiet? Because we have to stand for Allah qanitin, as the ayah says. وَقُومُ لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ You have to stand with focus, devoutly, obediently. If you're going to be talking and speaking and saying this and saying that, where is your devoutness to Allah? How obedient are you being? Where is your focus? Where is your khushur? Where is your concentration? Understand? This makes no sense. And this is where the hikmah comes in. The ayah basically explains that to us. When you stand, this is how you must stand. Right? Um, also, we get that the Sahaba never spoke random talk. They spoke bihaja. When there was a need, they would say something. It wasn't like they just chatted in the salah. No, they spoke with only when there was a when there was a need. The hadith also proves that Allah is above. That Allah is above. How so? The word the word No. This hadith proves it. How? The hadith says Nazalat. That the Quran was sent down. Which means it has to come from someone who's above. This is one of the proofs that Allah is above. Right? There's many different proofs, of course. Thousands of proofs, literally. Four to five thousand proofs that Allah is above. Um, the virtue of Salatul Asr is mentioned in this hadith. From the benefits of the ayah, Ibn Uthaymin then gives us the benefits of that ayah of the Quran. He says, firstly, the, the obliga- obligation of ikhlas. Allah says, وَقُومُ لِلَّهِ Stand for the sake of Allah. Obediently. This is firstly what we get on the ayah. Sincerity and ikhlas, when we, especially when we make salah. Right, we don't stand to impress anybody else. Right, we stand for the sake of Allah. This is of utmost importance. And also, how Allah gave to Cain gave importance to salah. Huh? That He said, "Hafizu ala salawat." You may to look after the salah, maintain the salah, take care of the salah. Right, and there are many other ayat. وَقَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ أُمْفِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Allah says, surely the mu'minun are successful. They are those whom in their salah they are khashi'un. They have khushu'. They are people who are focused and full of concentration and humility and humbleness in front of Allah. And that's the first ayah, the second ayah. The ninth ayah of Surah Mu'minun, Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَىٰ صَلَوَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِذُونَ And Allah speaks about the mu'minun. Nine ayahs later, He says again, and they are those who Preserve the salah. They are those who maintain care with regards to the salawat. Um, Surah Ma'arij, إِلَّا الْمُصَلِّينَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَىٰ صَلَاتِهِمْ دَائِمُونَ Later on, the same surah Allah says, وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ عَلَىٰ صَلَاتِهِمْ يُحَافِظُونَ Those who are always making salah. Those who are consistent. Other ayah, and those who are, those who preserve, look after, maintain care with regards to the salawat. Yani shurut are fulfilled, arkan are fulfilled, wajibat are fulfilled, the sunan of salah 
to the best of our ability are fulfilled. That khushur, that tranquility, that peace, that quietness, that obedience to Allah, that concentration, that focus, it's all there. This is those who maintain care with regards to the salawat. This is why Allah has really given such importance to the salah in many, many ayat of the Quran. Another benefit of the ayah is you have to stand in salah. You must stand in salah. Because the ayah says, وَقُومُوا and stand. It's a, it's a command. And stand for the sake of Allah in the salah. Right? But this is only for the which salah? The fard. It's a rukun of salah that you, that you stand. A rukun of the salah is that you stand for the fard. For the sunnah, that, that rukun is, is, is basically taken away. By the hadith, salatul qa'idi ala nisfi min salatul qa'imi. The one who makes salah sitting gets half the reward of the one who makes salah standing. But this applies to the, to the sunnah salahs. Meaning, if you're making sunnah, you have a choice. You can stand or you can sit or you can lay down. You can choose your sunnah, right? No problem. But if you sit, you get half the reward of standing. And if you lay down, you get half the reward of sitting. Understand? You have a choice in the matter. No, there's no this doesn't mean if you, if you, only if your back is sore or as I am right now, I can make salah sitting down if it's a sunnah. But I get half the reward. Understand? For a fart, if I do this, salah is not accepted. I must stand if I'm able to stand. If I'm able to stand, I must stand for the fard salah. Understand? Right. When is this accept? Uh, this is now. So the ruling is you must stand for salah. There are exceptions to this. The first exception is if it's a sunnah, you don't have to stand. Right? As we explain in the hadith. The another exception is if you are unable to stand. You are old. You are frail. You are weak. You are sick. You are young, but you're sick. Right? You have a back problem, you have problems with your legs, whatever. You are, you know, your legs are cut off, whatever the case may be. You cannot stand, you sit. Of course, in that case, you can, if you can't sit, you lay down. Right? This is also allowed by Allah. Question, a person who cannot stand and he sits, does he get the same reward as the one who stands? Yes, yes he does. Yes, he does. Right? And this hadith that proves that as well. Um, another exception would be, if you are in a state of fear or war, for example, let's say there's a wall here, the enemy is behind the wall, and you're hiding away. What do you do? You make salah. You have to make salah. Time's running out. So you make salah in whatever position you can. Right? Because if you stand up, they're going to shoot your head off. Right? So in that case, you can sit down. Um, another exception would be, what were you going to say? Another exception would be? Uh, no. That's only sunnah. You can't travel and make fard unless it's a plane. Right? Unless it's impossible. We did, we did say that last week. If, it's, if you are traveling and you cannot stop traveling like a, like a plane ride, right? And there's no way to stand, then you can sit. If it's a certain plane where you can stand in this space, then you must stand. This, right? Understand? The other exception would be if the imam is sitting down. If there is an imam who sits, like an old man who leads the salah and he sits, then the whole jama'ah must make salah sitting down. The Prophet sat one day in the salah, and the sahaba continued to stand. The end of the salah, he looked at him and he said to them, like, well, you know, 
They said, no, we thought it's just for you to sit, you will maybe not well and so forth. They said, no, if, if, if the Imam sits, you must all sit. Um, that must be that um, um, picture one day, um, Sheikh Abdul Yes. So, even then, يعني, who's allowed to be the, can you let any Imam, let's say a Imam comes in, can you let him lead the Salah if he sits? No. Or must it be the Imam that's resident, is only allowed for him? Some ulama said only if it's the resident imam, he must lead the salah, so everybody sits. But if it's a random imam, but Ibn Uthaym says either way, if the imam sits, you sit. Whether he's some the resident or not, if he sits, you sit. Tayyib. Um, next hadith from Abu Rayr radiallahu anhu, he said, Rasulullah said, At tasbihu li dijal wa tasfiqu li nisa, muttafaquni ala. This is the last hadith. He says that tasbih is for the men and clapping is for the woman. This hadith Bukhari and Muslim. The version in Muslim adds the salah. In the salah. This applies to the salah. Right? So meaning what? If a mistake is made, if you see a problem, if you notice something in the salah that's not right, the men should say tasbih, subhanallah. And the woman should say you know, they should just give a, a clap. They should not say anything um, in that case, right? So this is an example where you're allowed to say something in the salah, right? Even to the spouse. What do you mean? The female. Clap to the spouse. We're going to get there, okay? So another hadith says, إِذَا نَابَكُمْ شَيْءٌ فَلْيُسَبِّحُ الرِّجَالِ if you notice something in the something in the salah that's not right, then the men should say subhanallah and the women should um, clap. What's the, the hikmah in this? A woman's voice is not an aura. A woman's voice is not aura. A woman's voice is not aura. But it can be a fitna. It can be a fitna. And just to avoid any type of fitna, this should be avoided. Right? And just to take any type of attention. Huh? <laughs> Sorry? I thought the voice was... No, the voice is not aura. That means you can't ask me questions from behind this go. No, the voice is not an aura. Sorry, what, what was it? Yes. Yes, we say the voice is not an aura. But if you're going to speak to a male, then you should not be seductive yeah. or speak softly or speak, you know, like a little sweet little girl, cute and all. No, 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 you must speak straight. You know, uh, what's the price of this? Shukran, thank you. And you walk away. But you shouldn't go and say, uh, Uncle, what's the price of this over here? Because then what's going to happen? That uncle's going to think, oh, this girl's not mashallah, you know? And immediately shaitan comes in. So this is why the ulama said, if you need to speak to a male, it shouldn't be in a, a shy, seductive, flirtatious tone. Even if it's not flirtatious, that's maybe taking it a step further. But just it shouldn't be in this, you know, like a soft, uh, uh, kind of attractive, it could, friendly, it could lead to fitna. You never know, it could lead to fitna. In that case, you should just be try to be as straight as, as possible, you know, not abrupt or rude. But just be straight as possible and don't speak softly or 
just speak at, at a good tone, you know. Um, is this, can we do this? Is this allowed? Or can I, can I purchase this? Uh, from? You know, whatever the case may be. That's it, and walk away. If he still has whatever going through his mind, that's his issue to deal with, you know. Allah will take care of him. But from her side, she didn't do anything, you know, wrong. So that's just, but the voice itself is not an aura. The voice itself is not an aura. Um, and Allah knows best. Um, and of course, this is there just to make sure the salah is done properly. Okay, this, I mean, people forget. Natural is normal to forget. Something happens, subhanallah. And he should know automatically hey, something's, something's not right. Okay. And if he was maybe not focused, he can now realize. If he knows 100%, he's right. And somebody says, subhanallah, because sometimes that person can also be confused. Now he says, subhanallah. If the imam is 100% certain, he doesn't have to listen. He can continue. And afterwards, you know, he can maybe discuss it with them and so forth. Yes? So the person doesn't know what is wrong. Yeah. He doesn't know that he forgot one rock so in that case if he finishes the salah right and he turns around and they say to him look you missed the rakah he can immediately go back to that rakah so immediately he can he stands again they go back to that rakah and they complete and he makes the such that to sahab at the end and that's it but so you can go back after the salah you can go back but it must be quickly. Yeah, I mean, there mustn't be a long time. You know, he gets up, he goes outside, and sometimes, hey, you missed the third rakah. You're like, oh, let's all go upstairs now and make again. No, no, now it's too late. You know, it must be immediately after salah. No, this is the mistake you made. Oh, okay. Stand up quickly and make salah. And with minimal speech, you know, try your best. If this is what you must, okay, go back. Stand up. Go back to that rakah. Finish that rakah. Finish the salah. And... Uh, you make that sajjad at the end, and then and then that that is sufficient, inshallah. Yes, that will come up. Yes. Um, also, a benefit of this hadith is we see that Allah Azza wa Jal has differentiated between men and women. That male and female, there are different rulings for them at times. At times, everything is the same, and there are times where Ibn Uthaymin says at least two hundred times that he can think of where there are different rulings for men and women. Right, there are different rulings for um, men and women. And yeah, he actually says that this shows how people who follow the West, that, you know, everything must be the same and equal, that they are not following what the Quran and Sunnah teaches us. There are differences. There are things that women are allowed to do that men are not allowed. There are things that men are allowed to do that women are not allowed to do. And this comes from the hikmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as Muslims, we submit to that. We submit to that and we accept it, alhamdulillah. But to talk about equality and everything must be equal, this is a dangerous path. Wallahi, this is a dangerous path. And especially today, you know, especially today with feminism that's rife and it's spreading like wildfire amongst a lot of the women, a lot of the young, you know, Muslimat. This is a dangerous, wallahi, feminism leads to kufr. Feminism, it leads to disbelief. They are going to end up at a point where they reject Allah's rulings and law and they, they prefer kufr laws. That's the reality of the matter.
that is the reality of the matter and it's it's out there for all to see it's out there you're gonna for example hijab you know why must we why must the woman dress in a hijab if you can just like why must i just like this and you you understand we prefer this over that this law makes more sense and there's kufr already you know um what are there so many examples salah leading the salah giving the khutbah being a being a leader why must there be separation? Why must the men be in front of the mosque and the woman at the back? You know, so many things that they would say that it's a complete rejection of the Quran and the Sunnah. And when you do this and you prefer other laws over this law of Allah, this leads to disbelief. This leads to disbelief, you know. Inheritance. How can the brother get more than the sister? You know, how can the husband get more than the wife? This is not fair. No, we don't want that. We want, look, we go to the courts, we get everything equal, equal rights, you know. Subhanallah. Now you know more than Allah. Now you're more just than Allah. You understand? You know better than Allah what's, what's fair, what's right. And wallahi, this is belittling Allah. This is now telling Allah, you keep your sharia, we have the courts. We have a kafir judge who will judge between us. We don't want you. And this is kufr. Takes a person out of the fold of Islam. And this is important because when you get to school, never mind campus, school, this is what they will teach you. Internet, this is what they will teach you. If you don't have the proper knowledge, it's a fitna out there. You know, and Allah protect us and our kids. Because wallahi, this is a dangerous time. And there are many, many examples of this in our communities and abroad. Of women that are propagating this equality. Islam is about justice. Not necessarily equality. What's the word? Not equality. What's the other word? Anyways, with Islam is about justice. And what Allah, whatever Allah says is justice. Whatever the hadith says, that's true justice. If we truly understand, then that is true justice. We don't understand it means our understanding is incorrect that's what it comes down to at the end of the day you know so anyways Allah Musta'an this is a the Sheikh touches on this this must have been 30 years ago 40 years ago 50 years ago that he said this in the time from that from then to now things have become a hundred times worse things have become a hundred times worse you understand um now وَمَا كَانَ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَلَا لِلْمُؤْمِنَةٍ إِذَا قَضَى اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ أَمْرًا أَنْ يَكُونَ لَهُمُ الْخِيَارَةُ مِنْ أَمْرِهِمْ It's not for the believing male or female. When Allah and the Messenger decide on an issue or decide on something, a ruling, that they have any choice in the matter. We have no choice. This is wahi. This is our minds. We have no choice. فَلَا وَرَبِّكَ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ حَتَّى يُحَكِّمُوكَ فِي مَا شَجَرَ بَيْنَهُمْ ثُمَّ لَا Allah says, by your Lord, you will never truly believe. They will never truly have iman until they make you, O Muhammad, the judge between them, the arbitrator between them. And they will find no rancor or dislike in their hearts for what you decide. Whatever Quran Sunnah says, there's no dislike. And they submit with perfect submission. Allah said it, done. The Prophet said it, done. You must have a beard, we accept it. You must wear your pants above your ankles, we accept it. This is your aura, we accept it. Hijab, we accept it. 
make salah, we accept. We have no choice. Allah says you got no choice, you got no right to have a choice. It's my sharia. I created you from nothing. Yesterday you were not even born, not even mentioned. I created you. Look what you have. Everything you have comes from me. Your aql that you are using against me, I gave you. You can only use that aql because I created it for you and I allow you to use it. And now you want to, to question me. You have no choice in the matter. Who are you? Huh? What are you without Allah? You're not worth anything. Not even for the blinking of an eye do you have anything to offer. Subhanallah. This is the arrogance of insan. Arrogance of mankind. They want to question Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the height of stupidity. This is the height of ignorance. And this comes from shaitan alone. So we seek Allah's assistance truly. This is, wallahi, this is really serious. It's, it's something I'm speaking about because it's, it's truly something major. People are falling to disbelief and they don't realize it. They don't realize it. It's to them, no, we're just standing up for our rights. We are the, we, no, we're the voice of the woman. We're standing up for our rights. Women must be respected, defended 100%. But there's a line that you cannot go beyond. There's a line that you have no right to go. I did this quote the other day where, you know, what was it speaking? It was okay, maybe not so much regarding this issue, but um, it was more maybe about parenting. You know, and the people would say, I'm not going to force my child to wear hijab. I'm not going to force my child to make salah. I'm not going to force my child to read Quran. They must have the choice. You know, this is how the, the modern age is now teaching people. You can't hit your child, you can't discipline your child, you can't force anything. They must give them their own choice. So much so, they must choose their gender. Huh? This is what how stupid the West is. When you're the child is born, you can't call it a, a boy or a girl, you must call it it. <laughs> call it a baby. Don't say my big girl. Wait till the child is big enough, he will choose his gender. You know? Wallahi, these people are more astray than the cattle. That's why Allah said, they are like cattle. They are more astray than cattle. That, that cow got more intellect than you. That donkey is more clever than you. Got more common sense than you have. But these are the people with degrees and PhDs and sitting on TV and talking like the intelligent. More astray than cattle, Allah said. Truly. So this person said, you can't force your child to do anything. Don't tell the child to make salah. Don't tell the child to wear hijab. Don't tell the child to do this. But what do you do? You must go to school. Hmm? You must study. You must play sport. You must learn to do this. You must do that. When it comes to dunya things, we force it upon them. When it comes to dunya, we are the iron first. You must, you don't study, you're grounded. You didn't study? You didn't study for your exams? No, you didn't eat? You didn't wear this? You didn't buy this? You didn't do that? What happens? Take the phone away. Punish them. Do this. When it comes to Quran, do you understand Quran? No, 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 no. You can't force the child. They make salah. No, no, no. So when it comes to the akhirah, you say, you have the choice, my child. You do whatever the hell you want. Sorry for my language. You do whatever you want. You know, when it comes to the dunya, we will force you to do what we think is good for you. But what Allah said is good for you, what the messenger said is good for you, it's okay. Do what you want. Do you, you do what you feel best. This is what is being indoctrinated into us, into through TV, through social media, through you know all channels. There's a war on Islam with, with even if it comes from a person who speaks respectfully and nicely, is there's a war on the teachings of Islam. And this is why tarbiyah is so important. 
that the child grows up knowing his place, knowing what he's allowed to think, what he's not allowed to think. It's our duty as a parent to tell the child, you make salah, you wear hijab, you speak properly, you dress appropriately, you eat properly, you do this, you do that. That's tarbiyah. That's tarbiyah. There is discipline part of the sharia. Because they will grow up disciplined. And when the time comes, you can explain to them. And as they get older, you can explain to them, you can show them that Allah created this, Allah gave you this all. You teach them the gratitude and shukr. And this is important because that free will that they want. Subhanallah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we are saying. You know, we can do whatever we want. We can jump, we can run, we can do all things. But and on the inside, tomorrow your body is going to be rotten away, gone. But your ruh is still there in the barzakh, experiencing either na'im, pleasures, or you're experiencing adab. You're experiencing torment and punishment. It's exactly, it's 100% true. You know, so subhanAllah, this is, I mean, this is beyond, I don't know, it's just, it's just a fitna of the time, I would say. And, and with social media and those things, it's a great, great, great fitna. That's all I will say. It's a great fitna for any person who's not grounded in his knowledge, doesn't know, you know, Allah and the deen and Islam and Sharia and the importance of these things. It's a great fitna. You go to university, most Muslim children are prepared what they're going to be confronted with. The lecturers are atheists, the students are atheists, those people around him, everything that's being driven and pushed is a war on Islam. You know, and this is a, it's just an undeniable fact um, that we just need to be aware of. And that's why as parents we need to make sure that before you send your child, the child must be ready. You need to know what's, what you're going to be confronted with. You need to know what's right and wrong. And so forth. Tayyip, to end off, Ibn Uthaymin mentions one or two issues. He says, what about clapping? Out of the salah. Well, in the salah, we know the women are allowed to clap. What about out of the salah? He says, like you see something impressive. Can you clap? Something nice, something good. Right? Uh, most of the women I have read, they say no. They say that clapping is from the time of Jahiliyyah. And it should not be done because it's from the time of Jahiliyyah, and it's only permissible for women in the salah. This is what majority of ulama said, Sheikh Salih Fawzan, Abdullah bin Baz, Abdul Aziz bin Baz, uh, the Lajna to Daima, and other ulama have all said this. Ibn Uthaymin says it's permissible. Ibn Uthaymin says it's permissible. He says he doesn't see any problem with this. He says he doesn't see any problem with this. He says because it's something that's normal. Everybody does it. Muslims, non Muslims, it's just something normal. We clap when we say something. Sorry? No, no, the general, he says, for him, as general, people do it, something natural, we clap, we see something good, he personally has no issue with it, right? Well, like I said, the ulama said, it should not be done, at least they said it's makruh, the least we can say is that it is highly makruh. Um, and some ulama said, well, this is like the Quran, the Quran said, وَمَا كَانَ صَلَاتُمْ عِنْدَ الْبَيْتِ إِلَّا مُكَاءً وَتَصْدِيَةً Allah speaks about the mushrikeen, Allah said, they salah. But the Kaaba is only whistling and clapping. That's all. That's, that's how they pray, man. That's how they carry, carry on. 
So Ibn Uthaymi says, when we clap, or when people clap rather, صوت عبادة صوت عبادة That is عبادة, that was their عبادة This is, this is not عبادة This is not the same thing You understand? But Allah knows, and as for the issue that is only for salah Only for women rather The other ulama says it's only for women in the salah So he said that only applies in the salah But out of the salah is something different And this is his argument that he brings forth Allah knows best, right? You want to be on the safe side? Don't clap the safe side, don't clap. If you truly believe it's permissible, it's permissible to clap. Allah knows best. Wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Shadu ala ilaha illa atastaghfiruka wa atubu ilayk.